Welcome to WFIU's Profiles. I'm Annie Corrigan. Today, we're talking roller derby. The Bleeding Heartland Roller Girls is Bloomington, Indiana's flat track roller derby league. Since it was founded in 2006, the league has experienced rapid growth, now consisting of two teams and over 40 regular skaters. Is that about right? I'm joined today by three members of BHRG. We've got Tyler Ferguson, Raina Polivka, and Casey McGrath. Thanks for coming in, everybody. Thanks, Thanks for having us. us. So I said your real names, but the Derby fans out there know you by much, much different names. So, Casey, let's start with you. Yep, I'm Casey, and my Derby name is Bombshell Shock. I'm Raina, and my Derby name is Terror to Bits, or Terror. And I'm Tyler, and my Derby name is Caca Caliente. So what's up with the names? <laughs> what's the origin of using names instead of your legal names? Um, well, I think uh, originally this sport was, was began back in 2001 in Texas, and um, it was sort of a throwback to the old days of bang track roller derby and the idea of having these sort of huge larger-than-life personas and people wanting to sort of get, pay homage to that version of this sport. And so they came up with derby names for themselves, and... Um, now, all, pretty much all um, derby teams use sort of their derby names. And my name, personally, when I joined the league here in Bloomington, I wanted to come up with something that was sort of a throwback to, like, pin-up 1950s culture. Um, I sort of really enjoy that aesthetic. Um, so I thought of the, the word bombshell and then wanted to come up with sort of a, a funny pun or something that sounded kind of tough. Um, so I came up with bombshell shock, so... Um, my name kind of originated as an offshoot of my ideal derby name, which was going to be Reina Terror, because that is just awesome. Um, but it was taken because there is a long roster of derby names that um, exists that catalogs um, the derby names around the country and now around the world since there's derby leagues across the ocean. And so Reina Terror was already taken by a veteran Texas skater, so I had to go with the next best thing, which is Terror to Bits. This is Tyler. My name is Kaka Caliente. When I was trying to think of names, um, I was just giving up or coming off of my favorite sport, which was soccer, a sport that I had played my entire life. So it was important to me to keep the soccer part of me alive. So I was trying to think of famous soccer players, and a lot of the names just didn't go well. Some of the female soccer players, uh, like Mia Hamm, her name was already taken, Mia Hammer. And so all of a sudden the name Kaká came up, who's a Brazilian soccer player. And I believe it was my husband that followed with the Caliente. And just the pun and the silliness of it all just um, really spoke to me. And it was kind of flashy and loud and bright. And so that's why I chose that one. So your derby names aren't just for when you play derby. The community of der derby girls tends to use these names instead of your real name. So this this bleeds into your regular life, too. Uh, do you guys like that, or do you wish, gosh, no, I'm Raina, I'm Casey, I'm Tyler, just call me by my real name. No, I really like, this is Casey, and I really like um, using the, the derby names because I think that having a derby name when you start playing roller derby, it sort of allows you to create this on-track persona that I think very much becomes a part of who you are off the track. So, you know, bombshell shock. When I started playing roller derby, I never really played a sport, and I'm not really quiet, but I was sort of never like a super tough, loud, I would say, person. But bombshell shock is really tough, right? She plays roller derby. She's um, out there hitting people, and, and she's an athlete, and um, now I feel like I've incorporated that into my my everyday life. And so I like being called Bombshell because it um, reminds me of, of the person that I've become through roller derby. And I think similarly, this is Reina Terror. So similarly, when we go out, to, when we uh, play against other teams, we are at the same, we, while we're playing a sport and we're being athletes on the track, we're also contributing to the larger derby community simply by being stewards of the sport and meeting new people and networking. And it's so funny to see these amazing women and to know them by their derby name and to be able to just kind of call upon those personas almost immediately. And then you learn, oh, wait, that person in their real life, they're a lawyer? Really? Whoa. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it kind of, it does allow you to just kind of extend your identity into really creative areas. 
This is Tyler Akaka. I think one of the funny things that happens is you'll meet somebody that finds out that you play roller derby, and they'll say, oh, I have a friend that plays roller derby. Uh, her name is Misty. And I just look at them, you know, with these eyes, like, that doesn't mean anything to me. What's her roller derby name? I mean, we it's funny. We don't know. it. it we hardly know each other by our <laughs> real names. And, we, you know, in an instant, we can think of one, one another by our derby names. But right. And then you ask people, like, well, that mm-hmm. doesn't help me. What's their derby name? And they're like, well, I'm not sure, you know. And so it's 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 funny how much we rely on our derby names with one another. Right. Exactly. For people out there who've never seen roller derby, we're going to talk about how the sport works a little bit later in the show so people can get an idea of, of what the heck goes on <laughs> in a bout. But let's talk about this idea of personas on the track. So we've got pseudonyms. You guys, some skaters wear costumes. Sometimes there's a lot of makeup. So there's a theatricality to this sport. Mm-hmm. And as a spectator, that adds a lot because you don't necessarily see this level of theatricality in other sports. So talk about how this help helps to define derby. Well, I'll start, but I'm going to I'm going to kind of approach it from a from a different perspective from a different angle. I played sports. I'm used to playing organized sports. I come from a soccer and ultimate frisbee background. And um, I'm not used to playing a sport where women are in the bathroom putting on makeup before they play. In fact, quite frankly, in college, my soccer team would have frowned upon any kind of behavior. And I was even teased for, you know, doing, trying to get my hair out of my eyes, you know, with a ponytail holder. It's like, why are you messing with your hair before a game? we got a game to play. So... I think one of my most hilarious memories is I went to a roller derby camp in San Diego, and I'm there with um, several hundred women, and we're all trying to uh, refine our derby skills. And we're doing this one drill in particular where three of us are in a pack or in a small group, and we've been just we've just been instructed that when the whistle blows, we're just supposed to beat the crap out of one another. Just the three <laughs> of us, just pick the other two and just start hammering on them. And I'm like, okay, this is I can do this. And I look over my shoulder to see who I'm paired with, and there's this woman with these gigantic, long, hot pink eyelashes. <laughs> and she, like, kind of, it was like slow motion. She kind of blinks at me, really sort of seductively. <laughs> and then the whistle blow, blew, and she just hammered on me and just <laughs> laid me out. And I just, I just think that, I, I love that irony. I love that twist. Absolutely. And I think that... Oftentimes, what the audience perceives is like this this flashiness, this makeup, this kind of disguise that these skaters are using. For us on the track, it becomes a method of intimidation almost because I'm just thinking of the skater from Hard Knocks. Goblin. Goblin. Goblin, who just, I mean, just paints her face just immaculately like this, like a goblin. And she is such an amazing athlete, and it's terrifying (laughs) to stand at the jammer line next to her and have her look over at you with that painted-on snarl. Yeah, and I think for me, I guess I I sort of came at Derby from the opposite side as Kaka did. So I had never been an athlete before. I... Uh, actually did theater in high school and in college. And so for me, that was something that was familiar and fun is that is the idea of sort of bringing an aspect of um, entertainment for the fans. Um, and I think all sports in their own way try and, and involve the fans in different ways. And I think this is the way roller derby has chosen to do it. And I think it doesn't, I don't think it detracts at all from the athleticism of the sport, if you come watch a game, I think you'll agree um, and that you'll see that it's a really intense sport and there's a lot of strategy involved, but we also like to have fun. And that's sort of what it's about. You know, that we're all volunteers and actually we all pay dues and pay for our own equipment to play the sport. And we, le- we like to have a good time and have fun. And I think um, interacting with the fans in that way really brings that out for us. Well, Casey, you're talking about the fact that the theatricality, you don't think detracts from the athleticism Mm -hmm. and the reality that this is a real sport. As, Kaka, you were talking about getting hammered (laughs) by someone. (laughs) We're going to talk about what the violence is in Derby so Mm -hmm. that people can get an idea of what that is. I want to quote something from the BHRG website. So this is from the section titled League Vision and Goals. Quote, BHRG would like to restore the reputation of roller derby as a legitimate sport worthy of press coverage and reporting scores rather than as an event for the entertainment calendar, unquote. So just as what we were talking about, this sort of goes off of that, what would you say to somebody who says that theatricality, the names, the costumes, the face painting, 
undermines the legitimacy of derby as a real sport. I think that's been one of the obstacles that we've been trying to overcome this year, and we've kind of come at this at a strategy. We actually hosted a media day event early in the season, and we invited the media to come watch us train. And we really believe, as Casey and Tara have mentioned, if you watch us train, if you understand what we have to do to play this game, then I don't think there's any question at all that we're athletes and that what we're doing out there is a legitimate sport. And one of the things we were talking about today is before the interview is that Roller derby is a, is a completely unique sport. Um, there's nothing else out there in the world of sports that can even compare to what um, happens at about. So, yes, you have the theatricality and you have the makeup and the aliases, but you also, I mean, this is a sport that is that is completely, I wouldn't say owned, but um, it, it happens because of women. It's not necessarily a, a sport uh that has been that has started and uh, for men and then been claimed by women as well. This is something that has grown from the ground up because of the de- the dedication, the athleticism, and the hard work of women, and that in itself kind of gives it a unique quality that allows for for appropriating these um, kind of creative twists um, and adding this this different aspect to what it means to be an athlete and to be in a sport. Yeah, and I think I would say that um, the sort of theatricality of it adds to the sport. It doesn't detract from the sport. Um, I think that we are great entertainment for a family to come and watch us play on Saturday night. And I think, you know, a lot of our fans enjoy just coming and they like they like the names, they like the fun, and we like to, you know, give that to them. But I think that we don't just want to be entertainment we're also a sport and i think that um i think that the two go together and work hand in hand as opposed to conflicting with each other in this sport mm-hmm. we're going to talk about some of the issues you were just talking about reina the diy aesthetic do-it-yourself aesthetic of derby mm-hmm. and then uh kaka you come from an organized sports background casey you've never played sports so a lot of these issues we're going to talk about a little later in the show let's take a minute now to listen to a piece of music so this is music by queen it's Don't Stop Me Now. Why are we listening to this? This song will be part of our opening act this season. Um, it will be our introduction song for all of our away games. It's fun. You When you listen to it, you want to dance to it. So we play it as we're being introduced on the track. We look like your, your typical Midwest friendly ladies, but then we're going to kick your butt. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a listen then. Here's Queen. Tonight I'm going to have myself a real good time. I feel alive. And the world, I'm turning inside out. Yeah. I'm floating around in ecstasy. So don't stop me Music by Queen here on WFIU's Profiles. That was Don't Stop Me Now. I'm Annie Corrigan. We're talking today to three members of the Bleeding Heartland Roller Girls. They are Kaka Caliente, Tara DeBitz, and Bombshell Shock. So, okay, so let's talk now about the sport. What happens at about? How do you score points? How does it work for someone who's never seen it? So the sport is... Um basically a series of two-minute segments that we call jams. And each jam um, is composed of five players from each team on the track at a time. And one of those players is the jammer, and the other four are blockers. The jammer is the point scorer for their team. And they try and they start behind the, the other blockers, who are called the pack. They try and get through the pack, and then they lap the pack as many times as possible in that two-minute segment. And they score one point for every opposing blocker that they pass every time they lap her. 
Um, and so it's a series of, of jams. There are two 30-minute periods, and at the end, whoever has the most points wins. How many points are we talking in about? Give me just an estimate. Um, usually I would say final scores range from 80 to can be up to 200, 220 points or so. Um, depending on what the sort of differential and the skill levels of the teams are. So in a single jam, I think the record is 30 points um, you can get in a single two-minute two minute segment. So Then how many skaters are going to be rotating in about? We have 14, a roster of 14 um, women on the bench at a time. So among those 14, five are chosen to skate in each jam. We were talking a little bit earlier about your experiences, Kaka, at a derby camp you say it was in San Diego? Correct. You alluded to the violence that happens on a derby track, and we were laughing about it. But this, the reality is that it is a violent sport, and this is probably one of the reasons why when people go to a derby bout, they think, this is legitimate. These women are athletes because you get knocked around a lot. So let's talk about the violent aspects, what happens in a pack. Well, I think you're referring to the hitting that we do. And so to add to what Bombshell was saying about explaining how the sport is played, I like to make this analogy. If you think about a football field and the line of scrimmage and you have your your two lines and they're going at one another, the blockers, your linemen are going toward one another. That happens in derby except for where those two lines are going the same direction. So they're still blocking one another, but they're both going the same direction. And just like there are rules in football, what kind of blocks are legal and which ones are illegal. Obviously, the ones that are illegal are the ones that really put the players at risk. And also in hockey, the types of blocking that you do in hockey. Um, there are, you, obviously, you can't hit anybody in the head or above the shoulders or below the knees, tripping. So what we have to do in our sport is we have to block uh, other players to make room for our jammers or to slow down the opposing jammer. And these blocks can be uh, very controlled and very precision and sort of slow to, to encourage the opposing skater to get out of the way. Or sometimes you swoop in and you hit them very hard and you lay them out on the ground because it's a, a last-ditch effort to make a hole for your skater. And so that's what you're talking about. That's the hitting that we do. And, again, it's within a rule set. These hits are all within a rule set to keep the player safe. They're all hits that we can take, that we're used to giving and receiving at practice, and that I would say that we enjoy giving and receiving at practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, there's something really empowering about going out and being able to pound on one another for a couple of hours and, I mean, deliver some really intense hits and lay each other out on the ground and being able to go out and laugh it off and, and drink and eat together afterwards. I was a high school soccer coach, and one of the challenges that I had as a coach was getting my athletes to be physical toward one another. And I think it's sometimes difficult to get girls to feel comfortable pounding on one another. They're, they have issues with being friends, with I don't want to hurt my friend, I don't want to play hard against my friend. And it's really a difficult obstacle to overcome as a coach. Even I, I was a volunteer assistant at IU in the, so, in the soccer program, and it was even challenging there. And in this environment, there, there is no room for somebody who isn't willing to be hit by their teammate because that is part of the game, and that's how we need to train. And I found that most fascinating when I first started playing derby because when I came into this group of people, this was a group of women, many of whom had never been athletes before, yet these women got it. They understood that you come to practice and you get hit and you hit back, and that's what it's all about, and nobody gets mad at anybody about it. It only makes us better. Yeah, I think we have a, we have a teammate named Doc Doc Noose, and she likes to tell this story about she's played other sports before, and she would sort of, I think, get a little competitive. She's very competitive. We're all very competitive, and she would sort of initiate too much contact in other sports where there wasn't supposed to be contact, right? It would be soccer or softball. It would be like, you know, um, her name's Shanna. It would be like, Shanna, don't hit people. You know, Shanna, calm down. Don't hit people. And she finally found a sport where it was, Shanna, go hit somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's great. Talk about what happens in practice. How do you train yourselves to be competitive in bouts? We have a very um, rigorous training uh, model, actually. And this is something that is fairly new for our league. Uh, we've really started stepping it up in the past two years. Uh, we've made a 
a league-wide goal to make it to regionals. So therefore, the entire league is invested in getting us there. And that means that committing to, first of all, attending practice, because we need the bodies there to be able to run a lot of these drills. Um, And second, to be able to bring your best to every practice situation. And our motto is, is that practice has to be 10 times harder than bout day, because bout day just needs to be something you show up for. You don't think too hard about, because this is something that's natural and instinctual at that point. Like I said, our training schedule is very rigorous. We do a, a lot of off-skates core work. We do a lot of endurance and cardio work as well. And as far as what Kaka was saying earlier about the hitting, that requires a whole different level of ability because it's not only forcing you to work every muscle of your body to either sustain a hit or to give a hit. Um, But if you fall down, getting back up is really difficult (laughs) if you've been wailed on for the past 30 minutes or if you've been sprinting for the past 45 minutes. So it really does kind of work every part of your body. Going along with that, we've worked really hard to create the mental game as well. And something that we've really stepped up, and I, I know our fans see this for sure, a change that we've been developing Uh, season by season is just becoming a smarter team and to create and enact strategies that are pretty sophisticated on the track. And so really focusing in on those at practice time and perfecting those skills. Yeah, the the training program, it's interesting for me who came in. um, I joined in 2007, so the league was in its second season. And so this is my fifth season going into 2012. And the evolution of our league I feel like has really mirrored the evolution of myself as a skater and as an athlete because I came in and the group of women who started this league the first couple of years, you know, we were all learning and training ourselves, you know, there was no, we had no coach who knew how to play roller derby automatically. So we're learning how to play roller derby. We're also learning how to be athletes at the same time. And we're using the resources that we have. Kaka joined the same time as me, and she obviously had coached before and had a lot of um, training background. So use the resources we have. But as Tara said, I think our intensity has really stepped up. And for me, coming in, not having played a sport before, not having really done any physical activity regularly before joining roller derby um, to now where I skate I practice three times a week I go to the gym three times a week like I'm in the best shape of my life and I I really am grateful to roller derby for giving me something that I'm passionate enough about to want to make myself a better athlete and a better person did you ever think that you would be an athlete before you joined roller derby? No. Uh, no. I I I so I played a couple sports as a kid, you know, but I I mainly did it cuz I liked hanging out with my dad and it was something that we did together. But I I just hated working out. I hated sweating. <laughs> I hated like everything about sports and I don't know something about when I saw roller derby and my first experience was it was coming to about here in Bloomington. I had just moved here to go to grad school and I saw one game, and I was like, oh, I want to do that. Like, that just it looked so fun, and it never really occurred to me how hard it was going to be, you know, athletic-wise and training-wise. Um, but I fell in love with the sport, and um, and now I think if I quit playing roller derby, I would do something else. Like, I feel like it's really changed the way I feel about working out in fitness and sports in general. Like, I watch a lot more sports on TV. I'm just really excited by uh, figuring out how different sports work and what the different strategies are and um, and working out myself. So I think it's really changed my mindset in that way. Then on the flip side, Kaka, you played sports in college. You've coached organized sports, traditional organized sports. Are, is there anything about the way a typical soccer program is run that you miss, that you wish Derby had? That's a loaded question. When I came into Derby, when I came into playing for BHRG, like you had mentioned, I had come off playing on some really fun soccer teams and some ultimate Frisbee teams. Ultimate Frisbee is similar to Derby in that it's sort of DIY. um, It's sort of player run. And you didn't stick with all the traditions of of other sports. You, You you manipulated it in, in a way where you could still express the athleticism but still have fun doing it. And what's always been important to me is that there, no no player or no team ever become bigger or more important than the game itself. The game itself is really a, the important thing here. And it's always been one of my 
rules that I always plan a team that I have fun on. Having fun is way more important to me. Even though I'm a very competitive person, having fun to me, for me, is more important than winning, actually. And luckily, I've found a lot of teams in my life that, that are capable of doing both. And both is better than just having fun, <laughs> but having fun is important. So back to your question. Um, so when I came to BHRG, I was, I was sort of aging out of my sports, and I was looking for a way to still be a part of a team. And I found that the training in roller derby was satisfying. I found that skating was easier on my knees than running up and down fields. And it was a way to still be a part of a team and still compete, but still sort of age into a sport where I could continue to be competitive. And so I was happy with with sort of the aesthetic in the beginning, the, the DIY aesthetic. I was very proud of the people who weren't athletes that were becoming athletes. And actually, it was interesting to watch. It was interesting to watch people fight the title of athlete and fast forward five years later and see the women that have said now that have, have given up and, and, and given themselves to being an athlete. And it's something that I knew could be great all along. I knew being a part of a team could be wonderful all along. And I knew the joys of training hard and pushing your body all along. But watching other people feel that or experience that has been rewarding to me. But we started becoming very successful as a team, and I have to say that training is really, really hard now. Um, you know, at the time, I was kind of the crazy one that was, you know, pushing people to sprint harder or, you know, train harder. But that's, you know, that's not so much the case anymore. I'm, you know, trying to catch up or stay caught up now. <laughs> so one of the one of the really cool things about roller derby is that it is an ever evolving sport. The rule booklet is uh, is finally, I think, pretty set for the time being, but it has gone through so many different iterations as people are figuring out how the sport works. And, you know, when, when BHRG was founded in 2006, our founding mothers were, uh, were extremely um, forward vision focused because they saw the sport and wanted to bring it to this town and um, and had a vision for it. And and thanks to them, we are who we are today. And throughout the years that followed, it has been an extremely exciting learning process to figure out what the heck we're doing out there. And if you look at BHRG from 2006 and 2007, and you look at really any other league in the country, skating around in a circle, knocking each other down, was pretty much the essence of the sport. And now if you look at roller derby in 2010 and 2011, it is, and now 2012, it is just, I mean, it is amazing how much it's grown and the sophistication of the, the gameplay out there. And that has been something that has been a very unique evolution that's just not limited to BHRG, but that is sport-wide that has happened across the entire country. I remember sitting at Nationals in Chicago, um, 2010 Nationals, I guess, mm -hmm. and watching those players play on the track and being thoroughly entertained and thinking that I would put some of those games that we saw up against any sporting event that you watched on TV, men or women's sporting event, and saying, if you're not entertained by the athleticism and the skill and the strategy and the teamwork here, th then you're not going to be entertained by any sport because it was... I feel like that yeah. was really the peak year when all of those unique strategies really came into play and the sport really began to define itself. Yeah, I guess I would say, to answer Annie's question... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to answer my question. Which, well, I would say that I, I do think you bring up an interesting point is that because we're a young sport, the rules you know, have been changing a bit over the last couple of years, but also people are learning how to exploit the rules. And so it is sort of, I would say, challenging in a way to have to sort of keep up with the new rule sets as they as they come out and as they progress. But it is also sort of exciting because, you know, we've come up with, as a league, unique ways that nobody else has ever thought of to exploit the rules. What we call strategy. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I won't ask you to tell me your strategy. That, that would we be good. We'd have to kill you. Um, so it is listening. kind of fun to come to to see that you know wow I bet nobody else in the country or in the world of roller derby has ever thought of doing it this way before and we can do it this way and we've seen strategies of ours that other teams have taken and used on a national level 
because they're successful. And so it is, it's is—it's sort of challenging, uh, which I think other sports don't have to deal with, sort of changes in their rule sets. But it's also sort of fun to, to get to come up with new strategies in that way. We're going to talk about where you think roller derby is going in the next five or ten years in just a moment. Before we get too far away from the do-it-yourself aesthetic, we're talking a lot about this, but we're not giving specifics. So I want to know... Who makes the rules in BHRG? Who makes decisions? Talk about how the structure in the league sure, works. Sure. Um, so the rules are um, a product of the Women's Flat Track Derby Association, or the WIFTA, we call it for short. And it is a um, international now uh, governing body of roller derby leagues, um, female flat track roller derby leagues. And so we are, a mem- BHRG is a member of that association, and it's a very democratic association. Their mantra is by the skaters, for the skaters. And it is, each league basically gets a vote, and so um, there are committees within that organization one of which is dedicated to rules, um, things like sanctioning, administration, um, things of that nature. So BHRG's structure is uh, sort of a modified version of that. We have a president. We have six committee heads that deal with things like sponsorship, um, charity, PR, risk management, ballot production, athletics, things like that. Um, And so... All those positions are held by skaters um, for the most part. We, ha- we do have some league members and volunteers who, who also are, are serve leadership roles. Um, they can't skate, but they still are an integral part of the league. And then everybody else who's a skater is required to be on one of those committees and sit under one of those leaders and, um, and work together to fulfill the goals of that committee. Um, so it's very – and all major league decisions are made by the entire league by a vote. So it's really a process that I think is pretty unique in terms of, of sports as far as I know. And I think it's really nice because it means that we have – a big say in the goals, the mission of the league, um, where the league is going, which is important because we're all here because we care about the sport and the league, and we all have um, opinions and want to see see it grow and improve. And I think having that um, interest um, in the league and being a, a part of its functioning um, really play a big role in that. Right. So our, you know, our big philosophy is: in order to skate, you have to perform service. And as Bombshell said, that service takes the form of being a part of a committee, also um, participating in all of our community events that we work hard to uh, organize, partnering with uh, locally owned businesses, partnering with other nonprofit organizations to conduct charity work and to take part in that. So BHRG is 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 a team. It is a sport. It is um, an athletic organization, but at the same time, it is skater-owned, operated business that really, whose primary goal is to be an active part of the commun- of the Bloomington community. You are, yeah, BHRG is a very visible part of the Bloomington community, and even if people haven't seen about, they probably know about BHRG. Good. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> Let's listen to another piece of music. You guys brought Eye of the Tiger by Survivor, a very sports anthem sort of tune. So is that why we're listening to this? Absolutely. It c- captures the um, the successful trajectory and the evolution of BHRG over the past couple years and kind of captures the spirit of our team. Music by Survivor here on WFIU's Profiles. That was, of course, Eye of the Tiger. 
We're talking to three members of the Bleeding Heartland Roller Girls today. We've got Kaká Caliente, Terra de Bits, and Bombshell Shock. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. I was looking at uh, the WIFTA website. There are four different regions, and BHRG is in the north-central region. So at the, the top of the rankings, the leagues are ranked. At the top of the rankings, we've got teams from Chicago, Indianapolis, St. Paul, and Milwaukee, obviously much larger cities that have a much larger population from <laughs> which to draw skaters mm-hmm. than Bloomington. Right. Do you guys ever feel that you're at a fundamental disadvantage? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think it's just going to make the um, Cinderella story that much more exciting when we um, – actually, I think that one of our coaches looks this up, and I think we are the smallest metropolitan area with a team in the North Central region, yet we are ranked 13 out of 27 or 28 teams, um, and – and I hope continuing to move up. So as Tara mentioned earlier, our goal after the last couple of years has been to get to the regional tournament, which is composed of the top 10 teams in the region. So we have a couple more couple more spots to move up. We moved up three spots last season. We started out at 16 and moved up to 13. So I think it, it does speak to the, the coaching and the training that we do and also the commitment of the skaters. Um, we're also a really... You know, Bloomington's a really sort of transitional town for a lot of people because of the the university here. So people like to come and go. Um, That makes it a little hard as well. We have a lot of skaters that will get for one or two seasons and then move on in their lives. But, you know, it really speaks to, I think, our coaching staff and our training that despite the sort of transitions that we have within the league membership, we're still able to be consistent enough to be able to move up in the rankings. And if I could add to that, in fact, um, we have had some of our uh, some of our most talented skaters who have skated with BHRG, started out in roller derby, and then moved on because Bloomington is kind of a, a transitory town in that sense. And they've moved on to big leagues like the St. Louis team or the Chicago team or a team out in Portland. And they still say that nothing is like what they had at BHRG because we do really foster a family community and a sense of togetherness that I think is extremely unique. And that might be because Bloomington is just kind of that kind of town um, that draws those kinds of people. But BHRG is, is, is really something special and does stay with those skaters as they move on in their derby careers. I have to admit that I did feel like we were at a disadvantage with the size of our city. And I remember, Bombshell, when we were in your living room at a league meeting, when we actually voted uh, the direction of the league, whether or not we wanted to make changes within the league to pursue moving up in the rankings. And I remember the discussion. And I remember reflecting on a time when I had moved back to Bloomington from Portland, where I, I had played on a highly competitive Ultimate Frisbee team. And moved back to Bloomington in hopes of creating that same type of Frisbee atmosphere so I could maybe make it to a national Frisbee championship. And working to put that team together. And just when we had just just some really great players losing a great player to another city and then having to replace that player and never really being able to form a team. And I just, I really got super frustrated after a couple of years of trying to recreate that ultimate Frisbee experience for me back here in Bloomington that I had in Portland. So I remember listening to that discussion and not actually being one of the people, believe it or not, I can't believe I'm admitting this, um, (laughs) I didn't vote for it. Because, and I think the reason I didn't vote for it is because I didn't want to get hurt because I knew the type of town it was. I knew the experience that I had with Frisbee. And I was just looking at all the faces in the room saying, guys, we're going to make these great derby players that are going to go on to other cities and we're just going to keep teaching and teaching and teaching and we're never going to be able to enjoy the fruits of our work. And um, I'm so glad that I was one of the few people that felt that way in the room and I'm so glad the vote went the way it did. And I'm really proud of the progress that we made. I want to talk about something that I think about often because I go to roller derby. It's something that I enjoy doing on occasional Saturday evenings. The participation of men. Men can participate in derby as coaches and as referees. And there are 
co-ed leagues, male leagues that are starting up these days. But still, derby is a woman-run, woman-skated sport. Referees, coaches are both positions of power over the skaters. And so sitting on the sidelines, that's always sort of struck me as odd, and it makes me a little bit uncomfortable and, and feels a little bit concerning for me as someone who's proud of strong female athletes. I want you guys to talk about if there's tension in that dynamic or if it's just a non-issue. For me, I think the the most exciting thing about playing roller derby is playing roller derby, is being a skater. And, you know, when I was a kid in the 70s growing up, I was programmed to be an athlete. I know from the time I was five, year old, five years old, that's what I wanted to be. But in the 70s, there were no team women's team sports. There was no WNBA or there was no women's national soccer team. So when I had to imagine myself as a professional athlete, I actually played make-believe as a kid. And I had to pretend that I was a guy so I could identify with that thing that I thought I was supposed to be. So, you know, for me, there's no tension at all because I'm doing the thing that I know that I want to do. And that's playing a game in front of a ton of adoring fans. And that's what I always dreamed of doing. And I'm living my dream. So the fact that they're out there supporting us or playing the roles that they play is is fine with me. And I'm thankful we need our referees. And, you know... A lot of women who come into referee decide they want to skate. That's why there's no women referees, because they all decide they want to play. And the same is true um, for a lot of women coaches. They might think that they want to, they're not so sure about the athleticism, so they want to come in from that support angle, but it, it gets you, it just grabs you and tugs you and pulls you in, and then you wind up skating. Mm-hmm. I have to say that, um, in fact, BHRG has had women coaches and refs in the past. And as Kaka's pointed out, some of them came uh, came on as skaters or evolved into skaters. And it's it's in other times it just didn't work out. And I think the way that BHRG and I, I, I don't want to speak for the entire team, but at least for me, really looks at this issue of, of gender uh, within the league is that we look at talent first and foremost, and we utilize the talent that comes through our door in the best way that we can that will benefit the league as a whole. And so it's not necessarily that our head coach is a man or of the male um, persuasion, but that he really brings uh, his talent to the table and helps shape us as a league and, and creates that unity among the other um, skaters, the other BHRG league members and the refs as well. So I really think that's that's kind of the philosophy that that we take as a league is talent before anything else. What the crowd doesn't get to see a lot of times is that two-thirds of our coaching staff actually are women, um, but they're skaters on bout day. But they are um, there's a head of athletics who actually sits above all the coaches and captains. And there are two skater coaches that we have that, that are involved in the training program and lead practices as well. Um, in addition, there are captains who are skaters on bout day who are on the bench, and they work with the coaching staff. So it's not, in my mind, there's never just one person in charge of the team, even on bout day. It's always a, a sort of group effort of our coaching staff and our captain staff. In addition, like I was saying, behind the scenes, all of the leaders of the league are, are women. And I actually think that's one of the the tenets of, of the WIFTA association is that uh, two-thirds of the leadership of the league has to be women. And I think it's, I think it's a way that you know, they saw to protect women's roller derby from sort of mm-hmm. being taken over by um, male coaches or, or men who wanted to sort of push roller derby in a certain direction and a way to keep it skater-owned and operated. So I think that, as they all said, as Tara and Kaka said, we're extremely lucky to have the refs and the coaches that we do. I'm the chair of bout production this year, and putting on a bout requires an immense number of support people. There are seven refs, there are bench coaches, there are 15 non-skating officials, there's a ton of volunteers manning the door and manning the merch table, uh, doing security, getting water for the skaters, announcing. And so I think that you know we, we put people in roles in which they, they want to fill, in which they can succeed, and, um, and I think that the gender is really a non-issue for our league, usually. Mm-hmm. 
want to bring up something that might be a little touchy, the, the gender policy that WIFTA has put out. So WIFTA, just really briefly reading this, it seems as though they're trying to define what exactly it means to be a woman, and this could potentially exclude a lot of skaters, potentially, depending on your personal gender mm-hmm. identity. Mm-hmm. Talk about how that relates to BHRG and how you guys have dealt with the gender policy from WIFTA. WIFTA's goal with that policy was to align itself with sort of a gender policy similar to what the Olympic Committee's policy is in a way that uh, might enable roller derby to become an Olympic game in the future at some point. And so also the WIFTA policy was, I think, intended to encourage leagues who might have had a more restrictive policy to have sort of a, a more relaxed policy. And the policy, uh, the WIFTA policy is that um, somebody living as uh, a woman and with a woman's levels of hormones, as indicated by a doctor's note, basically is allowed to participate on the, the charter roster team of a league. BHRG has been against this policy um, from the beginning and was really outspoken within the WIFTA Association about the policy. Our policy at BHRG is um, we are a women's sport, and if you feel like you fit in the category of playing women's sport, then you're accepted um, to play in our league. However, because we are a WIFTA team, our A team, our charter team, the Flatliners, we do have to abide by the WIFTA policy, we haven't had any issues with that so far, but it is something that, that we are pretty outspoken about um, within the WIFTA. And there are other leagues that, that agree with us as well. So we actually put out a competing policy, and the two were up for a vote, like basically our policy versus the one that the WIFTA chose to adopt. So our policy got a significant minority of the votes, I would say. And so I think it's still a policy that leagues are still discussing and debating, and I don't think we've heard the end of the WIFTA policy on gender yet. If you want to read the gender policy, you can go to the WIFTA website. That's WFTDA.com. One more question before we call it an hour today on Profiles. Derby is still such a young sport, and it's growing really quickly, and there are a lot more junior leagues that are starting to pop up. So in the future, five or ten years, do you see this potentially becoming the sport solely of younger women? I mean, there are a lot of things about derby that take, that take some maturity. It takes a lot of time, for one thing. It takes a little bit of money for another thing. And I think the things that we discussed earlier about the ability to play, uh, play tough with one another at practice but not take it personally, I think there's a certain level of maturity required for that type of situation. So I don't necessarily worry that the sport will age down or or age to a younger. What I do think will be tremendously exciting is because of junior derby, you're going to see really talented skaters. I mean, the the, the sport is only going to get better. The skaters are only going to get better because they're going to get an earlier start at it. I, I have to digress a bit and say one of the really cool things about derby is now everybody comes to it at a, at a level playing field. When people start playing derby, they've not played before. And unlike other sports leagues, um, soccer leagues or volleyball leagues in town, we have, a, we have a built-in training program so that you can join our sport having never played our sport. And, and we are there to support you all the way through your development so that you can rise and play on our charter team. And that's a really interesting thing, I think, for – a woman who doesn't have any sports background, derby is a great sport for her because there's that net, there's that training ground that will take her and help her move up through the ranks. So with junior derby, you're going to have a lot, you know, those players that got the opportunity to play junior derby, they are going to have more of an, of an advantage. They're going to step on a team and they're going to be able to possibly play for their charter team right away or pl- possibly make a, a roster right away. I just think it's really cool that there's Junior Derby, and what an amazing thing. I I just wish that was available when I was young. You know, I had piano lessons and Girl Scouts and um, choir. (laughs) But what a cool opportunity to be able to play Junior Derby. I really think that's just an amazing development and something that this younger generation is so fortunate to have. Yeah, I think the the growth of the sport in the past decade demonstrates there are a lot of older women out there 
you know, not juniors, who really want to play this sport and um, and are really excited about it. So I see that only continuing. I mean, you know, at some point, I suppose it's got a plateau. But, um, you know, we went from one league in 2001 to over 500 leagues in the world now in in 2012 so more sprouting up every day so mm-hmm. i think there is a demand for it um at least for now and, and i see it just continuing i mean here within bhrg as we said we now have the largest number of women in the league that we've ever had so it seems like even within a small town here we're continuing to be able to draw more people who are interested in it um so i i and i think that with Junior Derby, I see like a really awesome, unique opportunity for us to be role models um, to, to sort of a younger generation. I think that even young girls who don't play roller derby, you know, come to our bouts and and you can see the sort of like adulation in their eyes, right? When they like come up to you and ask for your autograph afterwards and they're just so excited to come see like, you know, a, a women's sporting event um, and and I think they get a they get a sense for the fact that it's you know um, women run and it's really that women are the focus of of our of our bouts. So I think it's really cool then to be able to transition into you know teaching young girls how to skate, teaching them how to play derby, teaching them how to how to be a team and to work together as teammates. Um, I think that's something that we can really offer to that generation. And what other sport is there where you don't have to qualify it by saying, I play women's roller derby? I just play roller derby. Very true. Very true. And who knows? Derby could be an Olympic sport in 2020. It's a possibility, maybe. I guess we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Casey McGrath is bombshell shock. Raina Polivka is tear to bits. Tyler Ferguson is caca caliente. Thank you so much for coming in today. If you want to learn more about Derby in Bloomington, go to their website, bleedingheartlandrollergirls.com. And you can find out how to become a skater, how to become an official. Even if you just want to see the next bout, you can find out information about their schedule on that website. I'm Annie Corrigan, and you've been listening to WFIU's Profiles. The program you just heard was recorded in February of 2012. The studio engineer and technical producer was Michael Paskash. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Copies of this or other programs can be obtained by calling 812-855-1357. Information about profiles, including archives of past shows, can be found on our website, wfiu.org. Profiles is a production of WFIU and comes from the studios at Indiana University. Mia Partlow, producer. Please join us again for the next edition of Profiles. For WFIU, thanks for listening.